0: Now, this morning, we'll just take another look at this theme that we we began with next week or last week. And the title is this, One Simple Key to a Life that Pleases God. One Simple Key to a Life that Pleases God. We use as our jumping off point Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's stated in the negative, but the positive is just as true. Here's how the writer of the Hebrews puts it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The negative is, without faith, it is impossible to please him. The positive way to state it is, but with faith, it is possible to please God. To please him. Not just to be known by him. Not not just to be a name on a family roster. But to please him to make him smile, to cause there to be joy in the heart of God, for there to be a sense of pleasure and delight when your name comes up. With faith, it is possible to please God. Now, this this matter of, of, of faith and believing, having faith is to believe. God. Where does it come from? Where does does faith come from? Is it something, the ability to believe God, is it something that we are supposed to generate ourselves, come up with on our own? Or is it something else? Is it in fact a response? Is faith a response? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, if there's going to be faith in your heart, if there's going to be the ability to believe in my heart, God is going to have to say something to me first. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you realize that when you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, when you opened your, when you opened your heart up and received the person and the presence literally and actually, to come and live inside your heart. What happened was the moment you did that, the Lord brought to life something that before that happened was dead inside you. Body, soul, and spirit, we all are. We can have our bodies alive and we can have our souls alive, our minds thinking and our emotions feeling and our will choosing. Our bodies and our souls can be alive, but until Jesus Christ comes in your heart, your spirit is dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God quickened us, raised us to life again. By his grace, we are saved. In other words, There's a part of you that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, that part of you literally and actually comes to life. A whole set of capacities, a whole set of abilities to see and to think and to feel and to process and to hear come to life in a way that had never been possible for you until that happened. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. You have the capacity to hear God speak to your heart when you've come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. What that means is that he's able to make his heart known to you, and it it probably won't be an audible sound, an audible voice. But you have the ability, and some will say, to know in your knower that God is wanting you to hear something and is wanting to convey something. It can be, a, it can be an emotion. It could come in the form of something written, like so often it'll be as, as believers read the Word of God, read your Bible, and you're asking the Lord to speak to you. It can be like a, a verse or a line or even a word it just comes off the page and it's got life all over. it. It's like it's got fire in it. It's like you see it. It's almost as if you had never seen it before. You wonder, have I read that before? And yet you know you've read it, but you haven't seen it like you are seeing it now. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. You have the ability, now that Jesus lives in you, to hear when God speaks, whereas before, there could be all kinds of stuff going on that the Lord may be saying to other people and things going on of His Spirit, and it just didn't have any effect on you whatsoever. But it's different now. It's different now that Christ lives in you, that you have the ability to receive what the Lord wants to say. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Uh, that's, that's, that's important to keep in mind that faith is a response, not something that we're supposed to feel guilty about if we can't generate on our own. Folks say, we just need to believe, or you just need to have faith. Well, I could if I could, but I can't unless there is something that I hear, something that is spoken to my heart, to my spirit that I understand. Abraham, we talked about him last week, Romans chapter 4 abraham believed god and it was reckoned to him or credited to him as righteousness abraham believed god and he found right standing with the lord but what came before that before he believed god god made a promise to him god told him that he and sarah would have a child in their later years long past the time of being able to naturally give birth to a child God said to Abraham you're going to have a son you're going to have an heir and and the mother will be Sarah not Hagar you will be the father it will happen that came first and then here came Abraham's response Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness Abraham responded in faith to the promise that God made to him out of love for him. Abraham knew it. He had the ability to believe it because God first spoke to him. Are you all hearing that? You understanding that? It's very important. We can't be feeling guilty that, well, I just don't, I can't believe that, I don't understand that, I can't, I hadn't really gotten that, I can't believe that, well, it's because very likely the Lord hadn't spoken something to you with regard to that. That's why it just doesn't do us a lot of good to run around and be telling people, uh, even ones that, that we care about and that love us, and say, you know, I'm supposed to do this with my life, or I'm, we're supposed to pick up and move to this city, or I'm supposed to try this business enterprise because I believe that's what God told me to do. Well, the ones you tell that to may look back at you like a, like a calf looking at a new gate. And they're like, what are you talking about? And you're not getting any encouragement back from them. Why? It's not because they're bad people or because you haven't heard from God. It's that they haven't heard from God what he spoke to you. And as a result of what he spoke to you, there's faith. But because that hasn't been spoken to them, there isn't any faith. That, that, that's just another reason sometimes we're not supposed to be telling everybody that we know everything we feel like God has spoken to us because if we do that if we speak everything that we feel like the Lord has spoken to us then we run the risk of speaking it into the ears of some folks who hadn't heard that same thing and we can get discouragement back instead of encouragement do I have a witness here you ever tried that this is what God's telling me to do. This is when you're all pumped up at it, ready to go, ready to start now, ready to move out and get going. And then you speak it to four or five folks that, that normally have been encouragers to you and they want to be an encourager to you. But all they get is, is, the, is, is well, what if it doesn't happen that way? And, and fear sets in and then some of what isn't working in them can try to spill over on you. And you're wondering, well, what in the world was I thinking about in the first place? And you really did hear something. God really did speak. He just didn't get it. He didn't speak it to them. Now, I'm, I, I want to encourage you at that point. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Number one, you have the capacity. You don't have to get what God says to you through a priest or through a preacher or through some other friend. If you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you have the ability for God to speak directly to you, cut out the middleman, and you know in your knower that this is what the Lord is speaking. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's something that God gives us as a part of his bringing us to life bring creating all over again his presence inside us creating for the first time his presence inside us but bringing us to to uh, giving us a new birth the ability to hear what he's saying to our spirits Abraham found that place of being well pleasing to God because he responded to what God said to him faith is a response to the realized love of God. I want to just remind you, if I could, of, a, of another one of these verses that, that, is, that is so important, so foundational to our understanding of the heart of God and then our understanding of what our response to that heart can be and should be. In Titus chapter 3, there is this, this wonderful statement or series of statements by the Apostle Paul. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace We would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The point being, you didn't start loving God. You didn't initiate the relationship with the Lord, nor did I. It all started from His heart to us. But when the kindness of God our Savior, And his love for mankind appeared. That's speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ, the kind-heartedness of God, his desire for relationship and fellowship. And the word literally means friendship. Jesus came out of heaven seeking friendship with the human race. Seeking to be friends, that there would be, a, there would be a respect, there would be a cordial relationship, there would be an open-heartedness from his heart toward folks. And that's why you find in the life of Jesus that all kinds of people were drawn to him. Even the, even the difficult ones to, to live with and to be around because of their physical sicknesses and needs or also because of their lifestyles that they chose that would be just morally despicable in the eyes of the, of the ones who were, were trying to walk the straight and narrow. They couldn't get over how Jesus would spend time, would go and have supper, spend evenings with, and, and stay on into the night and allow to be close to him when he was speaking to a crowd. These morally despicables, they were drawn to Jesus. And you know what? He was drawn to them. Why was he drawn to them? It's because he came with the heart of kindness working in his heart. And he came with that longing, that desire, with a love for mankind, the desire for relationship with the human race, the desire for relationship with you. He, he came from that place. He would say in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We're going somewhere with this, folks. It's important. It's important to hold as first and foremost that where this whole thing came from of being able to relate to God and for him to be able to relate with us, it came from him to us. His kindness, his heart of mercy, his desire to know you, his desire to be in fellowship with you. His desire to maintain a fellowship, a relationship, a fellowship with you. And because of that, he has a heart to speak. He has a heart to communicate with those he loves and, and cares for. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Do you think lightly of the riches... Of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Not, not the harshness of God, not the judgment of God, though all of those things are true about who he is, but when he, when he took upon a persona to engage the human race, the way that he came was from a heart of mercy and a heart of kindness and a desire of deep love and desire for a relationship with men and women and people. It is the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. Well, what is the response that would most be wanted by you with regard to somebody that you dearly love? You dearly love somebody, whoever that may be, what is the response that would be the greatest joy to you from that person whom you love? Would it not be if that person, knowing you love them, knowing you deeply care for them, that that person on the basis of that trusted you, believed you? would be willing to take your word, would be able to take your reputation as being trustworthy. Hadn't had the chance to do this yet, but I, I, I love seeing these pictures of, of, a, of a granddaddy in a in a swimming pool. And here comes the little two-year-old with the floaties and the life jacket and what else got on and Toddling up to the edge of the pool, and the the granddaddy's standing there about shoulder deep and is reaching out the hands like this, saying, in effect, trust me, trust me, believe me. There may be other words thrown in there. Come on, you can do it. I'm here. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And the little child works up whatever courage that little child can work up. But the only reason that little child is going to be able to take that jump into the the great unknown is if somehow what wins out in the heart of that child, my granddaddy, that one right there, loves me. I can trust him. Not able to process all of those adult kind of emotions, but the reason the child would step out into and fear would be set is because the greater emotion is the love of the father felt by the child. Do you see that? When Jesus will say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The emotion that most delights the Creator God is the heart within the creations to say, I believe you. I'm convinced of your love for me. You have won my heart. I trust you. I believe you. Now, folks, when we get to pray in for people who don't know Jesus yet, When we're burdened for folks that we care so much about, but it's just as if when it comes to the things of God and things of the Lord, it literally is like that third part of who they are is dead, and it is dead. Their spirits are dead. The ability to hear God, to love Him, to believe, to want to be around the things of God, it's just not there. And we can say you ought to, and you better, and you should all day long, and it won't help. Here's what has to happen. Somewhere in the process, an awakening from deep within who they are needs to begin to happen. And that's what the Ephesians 2 is all about. He quickened us. He brought us to life. And here's what begins to happen. They begin inch by inch, maybe centimeter by centimeter. They begin to be one by the love of God, convinced that there is a God out there, but not just that he's out there and he's mad, but he's out there and he cares about me. And God will use you many times. He'll use us in their lives to be saying to them, the Lord loves you. The Lord has a plan for you. It's not all over for you. He cares about you. He loves you. He loves you. That, that, the context of that verse in Romans about, about faith comes by hearing, and by the, the verse is just prior to that. How are they going to believe in him whom they have not heard? Speaking of Jesus. And how are they going to hear if there's not a preacher to go tell them? Because faith comes by hearing. Then there's the verse, and hearing by the word of Christ. God will use us to speak the message of Jesus and who he is and what he has done and can do in a life and the change that he can bring, to speak that. But folks, it's got to be the Spirit of God that works inside the heart of that one you're burdened for to awaken the sense that I am loved by God. That when Jesus went to that cross, he went to that cross with, with not just my name, but me as a person on his heart and on his mind. He knew I'd mess up. He knew I would blow it badly. He knew that there'd be years of my life that would be in chaos or confusion or live just consumed in selfishness. He knew all of that. But still, he loved me. Still, he loved me. Folks, when when we're not able to believe God, when we're having struggles with our faith, The point there is not to be running back and trying to find all the verses on faith you can memorize or be around all the other people with great faith. Those things don't necessarily hurt, but they're not going to help. What needs to happen is for there to be a seeking Lord somewhere or another. I've lost the sense of your love for me. Therefore, as I've lost the sense of your love for me, here's what happens. I've lost the sense of being able to believe you. If the love is restored, the faith is commensurate. If there's a sense that that he still loves me, he hasn't given up, he he still has a plan, his heart hasn't changed, and I'm focusing on that, on the love of God, then what happens is that you get surprised that faith just rises up and you're able to believe him because you know you love him. Can anybody say amen to that? Now that's important. Some of us get to beating ourselves up because we don't believe, we don't believe, we're questioning, we're doubting. That is not the problem. The unbelief and the doubt is not the problem. The fear is not the problem. The root cause is that somewhere, the deeper cause where that is coming from is somewhere along the way. I've lost the grip, I've lost the sense of his love for me. Now, here's how the enemy will work on the church. Here's how he'll work on the Christian. We came to Jesus in the beginning, realizing that I have to come to him not having all of my sins straightened out and my behaviors straightened out. So I just have to come to him just as I am. But somehow or another, when we become a part of the family of faith, we can begin to get wrapped in this thought that, well, now that I know the Lord, there's some things that I'm just supposed should be doing that I'm not doing, and there's there, there some things that I, I know I ought to do, and I, I messed up over here. And, and the reason we're, we, we, we don't come back to the Lord as quickly is because we're realizing all the stuff that we hadn't done right, even as a Christian. And so it causes us to pull back and stay back, stay away. And we lose the sense that He loves us even though he knew when he died on the cross for us, not only the sins that we would commit coming up to the point of receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, but that he knew the sins that we would commit even after we came to know the Lord. And still he loved us. Still he wanted us. Still he chose us. And when you get there, when that doesn't leave you, when you're determined to hold on to that place, Lord, you know what you got when you got me, and you got one great big sinner is what you got. Now, I can go to church, and I can read my Bible, I can sing with the rest of the people, but I know who I am, and God, you know who I am, that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And I realize that what I've done, even as a believer, hadn't surprised you, Lord. If you believe that lie, That what you have done since you've come to the Lord now is a surprise to God and is a massive disappointment to God that the devil's got you and he can take you into a place of false condemnation and defeat. But when there is the realization, the love of God for my soul covers my soul from the time I was born to the time I go to heaven and every point in between that there is no surprise. There is no new day with God. There is no fresh information. He knew it all, knows it all, died on the cross for my sins, and I am free because of what he did for me. (laughs) Knowing that he loves you will evoke faith in him, restored and trust in him. It is not about fighting the faith of how can I believe more? How the, that, that is not the fight. What the enemy wants more than anything else is to cause you to doubt that God loves you, that Jesus Christ, if he had it to do over again, wouldn't die for you because you've been such a loser. That is straight out of the pit of hell. And if we believe that, folks, listen, if we believe that, we're just gonna start believing the enemy's lie and we'll get deeper and deeper and deeper into the caverns and in the dark recesses of wrong and rebellion and death. But if, like David in Psalm 51, what he did was, even though he was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a coveter all of those things, all of the, of the big ten he broke. Against thee and thee only have I done what is evil in thy sight. Loving, kindly, Lord, remember me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cause the bones that you've had to break to bring me back to rejoice again, Lord. And because of that, as a result of that, he never never let go of the hope of the love of God around his soul, even though he had done desperately evil things. That was his anchor. And faith returned. The ability to believe God returned. Where are you doubting? Where are you afraid as a child of God? What is there some kind of a sense that maybe it's over for you, that that, that season could never be returned? The joy of the Lord could never again be your strength. Don't concentrate on the symptom. You go back to the root. And you ask the Lord in the shadow of the old rugged cross, with your eyes lifted up toward him, Lord, do you still love me? Lord, knowing what you know about my life, would you do it again for me? Would you still die for me? And I'm going to tell you in your spirit, if you're listening, you'll hear him say, oh, yes, I you are my child and forever will be my child. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of a. You say, Pastor, why are you, why are you going on and on and on and on about this? Here's why. Thanks for asking. It's because we get to thinking the problem is I don't believe, I'm losing my faith. No. No, that is not the primary problem. The primary problem is somewhere along the way, I've lost the realization of how deeply and thoroughly and inclusively my God loves me. If I know and I've sensed it in my heart, the love of God freshly being shed abroad in my heart, The ability to believe him when i come to the edge of that swimming pool on the deep end and there's in my life the sense that the lord is saying trust me come on trust me there won't be nearly the hesitation that there would be if it was somebody i didn't even know if it was some random chance i was just trying to take But when there's somehow the familiar face and the familiar sound of the voice and the arms are stretched out, then it's easier for you to step into, out into the unknown and risk it all for someone whom I know loves me. I would believe somebody who I know loves me. And you will too. Amen. What is the one response most wanted by you from someone you love? It is that he or she would believe that you trust that they trust you. Would believe you and would trust you. That is why in the heart of God Abraham Prior to the time that he was circumcised as a symbol of his covenant, personal covenant with God. And prior to the time, 400 years before the law was given, whereby the sacrificial system was implemented. You, you, you kill this lamb or this turtle dove and the blood of that animal will, will atone for the sins of this particular person for this particular act. Before all of that happened, before there were the Levitical laws, before there were the ways, here's how you get forgiveness. By following these, these Old Testament laws. Before the circumcision, the sign of great covenant, faith with, with between Abraham and the Lord. They, that's, it was then that the Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. God determined that on the basis of Abraham just saying, I believe you, Lord, that that was enough for the sins in Abraham's life to not keep him from qualifying as being in right standing with God. His wrong behavior, his wrong choices, his ignorance about everything, that which which rose above all of that in the heart of God was that the one whom God loved responded with faith in the one who loved. And on the basis of that faith, God reckoned to Abraham right standing with him. That's why there can be some folks who may not all know all the Bible, and they not, may, not, may not have been living a perfectly clean and pure life, but they know Jesus. And somewhere down inside them, there is a heart that believes. There was a heart that believes. And the name of Jesus comes up, and they may get a tear in their eye, Amazing Grace, you know, the band starts to play it, and they sing along, and you can tell their hearts are warm. But they may not be in a church every Sunday, but they know Jesus, and they're believing in Jesus. And then you cross over, and there can be some folks sitting in churches every Sunday with marked up Bibles and knowing all the Christianese and all the things to do. But there, is, there isn't the sense of knowing the love of God. And as a result of that, they're mean and they're judgmental and they're down on everybody else's case because they feel like God's down on their case. If i got to pick who I want to be around, I better not answer that question but you could answer it for yourself. A cranky, mean, judgmental, frowning all the time, negative about the world, churchgoer, or somebody who's out there in the world and may not be doing everything exactly right all the time, but there is a sense in their hearts, as crazy as it may seem, that they know that God loves them. And they know they're messing up, but they know that God loves them. And in time, he can bring them back around and work them back into where he wants them to be. But they're able to believe because they know the love of God. Folks, so do, you, do you know how much God loves you? No, 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 Do you know that he loves you? If you don't know that he loves you, then you can still be trying to to work your way into enough stuff that you're doing that will force him to love you. Impossible to do. But what I'm realizing, it doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. He knew you before you ever drew a breath. He had you on his heart and in his mind before any in your family were ever created. He chose you. He loves you. And when I accept that, when I accept it, the ability to just believe him grows out of my heart. Not that he loves me, this is not that he loves me because I'm believing in him. I believe in him because he loves me. All right, I, I, I hope not everybody's sound asleep this morning. But when that gets to dropping 18 inches, you talk about freedom, and you talk about joy, and you talk about looking toward the future, there's nothing you can do that can disappoint God in the sense of he didn't know that it was coming. He knows it all. But what happens if I know that he loves me, then my response is going to want to be to love him back. It's going to be to want to please him. I want to do what honors him. I want to leave you with a couple of other thoughts. Faith is a response. That's the first series of thoughts. The second one is this. Faith is an action word. Faith is an action word. Remember that section in James chapter 2 and then verse 20 and 26. Faith without works is what? Dead dead. Here's how it works. The Lord loves me. He shows me His love. He expresses it in some way that I can get. The cross of Jesus Christ becomes real to me. Not just because somebody said it, but because some some way or another mysteriously, but in a way that I understand Christ was dying on the cross for me. He was suffering for me. That He was loving me. And I respond in faith I accept what he did for me. I receive it by faith. And as that happens, here's some other unexplainable but very real thing that starts going off in me. There's some stuff I want to do. There's some things I want to do that I want to do that I believe will please him. I want to do them because I know they will please him as I do them. I want you to find Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and I want to show you a couple of spots here in one of the, the last series of teachings that Jesus gave before he was taken to the cross. And he's talking about the end of time and the judgment of the nations and so forth, but he gives, he, he, he tells a couple of stories here, and he makes them up to illustrate a point. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. The kingdom of God, that's the it there, for it, the kingdom of God, is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, Jesus said, he gave five talents, a portion of money or material goods, significant amount. To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them. Traded where? Traded in commerce. Traded some commodity in some brokerage or with some group Who would trade with him? Now, can I ask you this question? How many of you have ever done anything like that and were absolutely certain that there was no risk that you could lose it all? Anybody? No. To trade, you run the risk of getting a bad deal. Now, keep that in mind. Jesus is telling the story. This is not Isaiah. This is not Habakkuk. This is is Jesus telling the story to illustrate something. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more by doing the same thing that the fellow with five did, trading them, trading them in the market. Verse 18, Jesus continues, but he received the one talent, went away, and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and full of faith, slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And then this statement, Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. I'm going to say this to all of us. If you know the love of God, that He's loving you, and you are experiencing the ability to just believe Him because you know He loves you, then you also are going to find yourself at some point or another in some area or two in your life, you are going to find yourself a risk taker. A risk taker. A risk taker. Who was the one, who were the ones who were applauded and approved in the story? It was the ones who took the five and took the two and engaged in commerce with the finances that they had been given. It was not their finances, belonged to their master. They were running the risk of losing all of the master's money. But some way, somehow, these two, Seem to know something about the heart of their master that the one who just got the one talent didn't have a clue of. Strategic statement. When Jesus says to the ones, the five, and the two, and they come back with the multiplying the return, you were good and you were full of faith, and this then this statement. Enter now into the joy of your master. Folks, I'm telling you. God is a risk taker. He applauds ones who are willing to believe him and step out into the unknown, but he doesn't use this in just invisible, ethereal kinds of terms. He makes it very practical, very manageable, specific amounts. But fear, fear, will shut you down. That one, one fella, he gets one. He doesn't even trust the banks. He doesn't trust a soul. I'm going to get me a coffee can, go back out of here with this, with this shovel, and I'm going to dig me a hole three feet down. I'm going to bury this thing, and I'll know where it is, and when the man comes back, I'm going to dig it up and hand it back to him because I don't want to get in trouble. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of risk. I'm afraid of everything. Here's the point. Perfect Love casts out all fear. When you know you are loved, not in general, not in theory, but you know it and you know her. He loves me. And the sound of his voice beckons you to dare something you've never dared, to try something that doesn't make any sense to reach for something higher than you can grab, and you go for it, then what doesn't haunt you is, I'm going to get in trouble with the man. No. Because you have the sense that the one who loves you has evoked from your heart the ability to believe him, and there's something about his heart that is thrilled about taking a risk. And so I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go far. Folks, some of us can wonder why these people seem to have so much joy. Why do these folks seem to have such a vibrant relationship with the Lord? Why is it that I just seem to hear about these things that ever happened to me? Well, let me ask you a question. How safely are you living your life? Is there anything, is there anything that God could dare you to do? that would risk your peace of mind, and you'd go for it. Folks, he calls us to be men like we would never be necessarily in the world. He calls us to be a woman like the world can never evoke from a woman this kind of standard. He calls us into the very best and highest of our personhood because he loves us and he makes us known of his love, makes his known love to us. And then he just says, trust me. And you bless my heart, the Father would say, and you please me, and you honor me <laughs> when you trust me, when you trust me, when you trust me. He said, oh, I don't believe. I, I don't believe the Lord does risk. Well, read the Gospels, big boy. Read the Gospels. Excuse me, I, that sounded a little mean. But we sanitize Jesus. We make him well behaved, and every hair in place, and never in a storm, and never a pole. He was, he was at home in storms. Sound asleep, so was he at home. Remember that story, Simon Peter. On that fateful night, Lord, is it you? Is it you, Lord? If it's you, bid me come to you on the water and instead of Jesus saying Simon I'm the Lord you are not keep your seat get your life jacket get ready for a crash find your snorkel he said one word to Peter come middle of the night stormy sea made no sense come and Simon Peter did something that night that he had never done before, and we don't have any record anybody else ever did it since. The water congealed beneath his feet and supported a grown man for at least a few steps. You remember that? And then he took his eyes off Jesus, began to sink, and the Lord reached down and grabbed him and picked him back up. Oh, listen, you're not going to get in trouble for risking it all, to follow him. Folks may call you a fool. You may think you're nuts on your own. But heaven, heaven applauds that kind of heart. The other thing that'll happen to you Besides being a risk taker. Now again, if you spend all your time on how great the risk, how big the risk, how what this, is going to, what this might happen, then you'll lose it. But you keep your eyes focused on the one who loves you. And you won't lose it. And when you feel myself starting to sink like Simon Peter did, when he got his eyes back on Jesus, the Lord was there. And the Lord immediately picked him back up. There's to be wisdom in recognizing and analyzing risks and all that. I'm talking about being a fool. But I'm just saying when there's a quickening in your heart to try something, to dare something, to be something, to stretch for something higher than you've ever reached before in your life or maybe anybody around you has ever done that. Don't write it off as being crazy. You write it as a coefficient of being faithful to God. And you go for it. And if you've missed it, he's there to catch you. But he doesn't slap down risk takers who are doing their best to follow his heart. Verse 31 But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. One other part of what will happen when believing God animates your soul is not only will you become a risk taker, but you will become a mercy shower, a mercy shower. They won't just be nameless, insignificant, don't bother me problems in the schedule. Something about this verse kicks in. And it's not labor. It's not drudgery. It's not a sad thing or a bad thing or a hard thing to do. It just kindness, generosity, mercy flows out. Works faith without works is dead but works that flow out of a heart that knows I'm loved and because I'm loved I believe and because I believe I want to do I want to be kind. Folks this isn't just about people on the street or folks living under bridges. This is is about people that we are around all the time. In our normal traffic patterns of life, somebody you work with, somebody that pulls up in the same parking lot you pull up into, they may not work, they may work in a different office, but you just sense something, you just feel something going off in you. There's a heaviness, you see it on them. And you don't know them from Adam's house cat, you don't know who they are, where they came from, but the Jesus in you begins to activate, to reach out to the need in them. Be known as a mercy shower. Be known as a kindness giver. Be known as someone who just desires friendship with people. Kindness, where there can be a sense of making a day a little brighter. Do you you realize how many times Jesus healed people and they didn't even know his name? They hadn't joined his church. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't repented for nothing. His heart was just to bless. His heart was just to encourage. And he says, when you did it to one of the least of these least Least in dignity, least in position, least in size, least in number, least in every count. When you've done it under the least of these, you just know you've done it under me. If that doesn't put joy and put a different twist on this thing of helping folks that we don't even know, I don't know what we could expect to find from the Scripture to help us and not undertaking. So, what is the one simple key to a life that pleases God? It is a life that, in response to His known love for me, will believe Him. Will believe Him. Is it complicated? Do you have to have a Bible college degree? Do you have to go to seminary? Do you have to have all kinds of different spiritual gifts? No. Abraham just believed God for what God had promised him. And as a result of that, thousands if not millions of people would be blessed on down the line. The Lord loved Abraham, spoke something to him, stirred Abraham's heart with something of the love of God, and Abraham just believed him back. You're the child. You've got the floaties. You've got the life vest. You've got all the relatives around, scared to death that whoever's supposed to catch you ain't going to catch you. But there you go, and it is the Lord. Will you trust me? I don't know how that fits, but I'm going to tell you there is a reason why some of you are here this morning to hear this particular section of Scripture. God is calling some of you out. God is calling some of you to try again, to go again, to reach again, and to do it. You don't have to worry about messing up. You don't have to fear failure. He applauds the risk-taking. He applauds the mercy being shown. Go for it, Christian. Go for it. I know that didn't sound real spiritual to end up like that. but I believe that's how it works. You go for it. You go for it. Let's stand together if we could. Let me say this one more time. And you hear this, don't expect that everybody you respect or everybody that you would want to approve are necessarily going to approve of what it is you're hearing and what it is that is in your heart to try. It's not that they're bad people or that you haven't heard. It's just that they haven't heard what you've heard. And I believe the Lord sometimes just desires to draw us in unto Himself where it's just the two of us. And it'll be enough. And it'll happen the way that He spoke it to you. And you don't have to explain it to the watching, listening world. He loves you. I am my beloved's, remember that song of Solomon? I, I, not we, I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and his banner over me is love. Now, Lord, wherever you want to take this today, wherever it needs to go and settle into the recesses of our hearts and minds and emotions and choices, I just ask you to do it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, bless your Word to the hearts of your people. Lord, would you cause us to know afresh, those who need it especially, would you grant a fresh baptism of your, of your love into our hearts, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Lord, will you show us that's where it starts, that's where it all begins, that's, that's the initiation point. Faith is secondary, works are tertiary on down the line, it's knowing the love of God that we respond to that is faith. And we ask you to please have mercy upon us and grant that in Jesus' name, amen.